That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus Focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high-quality naturopathic doctor-designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Okay, welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. It's Dr. Dave here, and I'm super pumped to have an old classmate of mine with me, Dr. Michelle Pobega. Uh, so welcome, Michelle. Thanks, David. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, we can actually see each other because we're on Zoom. But anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, everything's on Zoom now, right? So it's yeah. just sort of like, yeah, standard issue. Okay, so Michelle... You, like me, graduated uh, from CCNM in 2009, um, and you, like me, have a clinical focus in, in digestive health, um, and then you also have a, a, another sort of focus in stress resiliency, which seems very appropriate these days. Isn't it? Um, it is. It, it always is, but extra, extra plus these days. And, uh, and currently, you're working out of a couple clinics in the greater Toronto area. Would that does is uh, Georgetown included in that? I don't believe so because it's whole okay. totally different. Okay, I've been gone for a while from Toronto. I have no idea where the border ends anymore. <laughs> I'm just kind of like Toronto, Toronto-ish, Toronto and surrounding Toronto area, Toronto adjacent. <laughs> yes, and then and then online. Are you still doing? Are you doing virtual visits with people all over the province of Ontario? Um, I have started to, during the during the pandemic for sure. Like I've had people yeah. from Hamilton and 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 you know my boyfriend's an RMT and he works a little bit more Bolton, so he has someone that's coming up from there that's doing virtual appointments for me. So I'm getting more of those, which is really nice that you know the reach can be a little bit broader now. It is really nice. There's some. I, some do miss, I do miss that hands-on and like physical. For sure. Aspect, but can't get rid of that. Well, but there's there's some stuff you can do virtually, which is, uh, and some people who can do a great job uh, virtually. But um, anyway, enough about that. What I want to, I'm super pumped because you and I are going to talk about something that we haven't talked about. I don't think we've brought this up on the podcast at all, and we're in like forty something episodes, which is kind of crazy. Right. I'm a gut focused guy, and we haven't talked about. Parasite, ooga booga. <laughs> it is. It's, but it is kind of ooga booga. I don't even really know what that means, but it is. It's kind of, it's kind of, uh, it's a gray kind of area, I think, for a lot of us, or a misunderstood area, or um, oversimplified, or, or um, I don't know. Do you want to just sort of, why don't you just give us an intro to why we're talking about parasites, which I'm super pumped about, uh, but I want to know why you wanted to talk about it. Okay, so I wanted to talk about it because I find it's far more pervasive than people realize. And the reactions I get to pe by people like in clinic when I mention, okay, so I want to rule out possibly parasites and they get like extremely, like their face wrinkles up, like you, they get extremely uncomfortable with the idea of it. And 
some people just don't even want to think about the fact that they have it and it just turns them off where I'm just kind of like, if this is contributing to your symptoms and you want to get better, we should identify it and we should get rid of it. And just like talking about poop on my Instagram, I'm like, I want to take the stigma away from things yes. that I feel like shameful or like afraid to talk about. Yes. Kind of like sweep it under the rug. If, it, if we don't see it, it doesn't exist. And that's not really the case. So we, we need to start being more vocal about these things and just being okay with these discussions. And so that, you know, we can help people's vitality and like their healing journey is that much better. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. You, you, you said about like how people have this kind of visceral reaction, like their face and everything kind of screws up and all that. Cause parasites are, uh, they're like, I don't know. It's really mentally sort of like a gross thing to think about. I think for a lot of people, right. Is that, is, do you think that's why their face is going all screwy? Yeah. I think like people automatically go to tapeworm. People mm-hmm. automatically go to that kind of thing. Or I feel like, I remember when I was, before I became more aware, I used to, I think the imagery of alien where something comes out of someone's stomach, like that kind of imagery comes to me. And I feel like yeah. people have just these weird, really like wild visions of what a parasite means. And um, and I think people often write it off because they think, well, if I haven't traveled to Africa, if I haven't gone here, if I haven't gone here, if I took Ducarol, if I did this, then I'm probably mm-hmm. fine. But that's not always the case, right? Like, think about our modern world. There's a lot of importation and exportation. There's constant moving from continent to continent. And these things are waterborne. Some of them have really good lifespans. They can travel pretty well. You know, they can live mm-hmm. on certain surfaces and pets. So many people have pets and pets are a really big contribution to just like moving parasites around and making them more like pervasive. Mm-hmm. Um, and just even just, just living, just living. Like it's in our soil, it's in animals, it's on food. Like it's just how it is. The The thing is, is, you know, they shouldn't be that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, but um, I can think. You, can you expand on that a little bit? Cause I think that's an important, an important part. Why they, why <clears throat> you're basically saying they're normal uh, to be in different environments. Like if they're in Africa and in India, there's probably some in all parts of the world to some degree. Uh, but why, why are you saying, uh, what, what you said there, I think there's some hidden, uh, hidden stuff there. What are you saying? I think that, um, as, as a population, we have become more vulnerable, which leads us to acquiring X, Y, and Z that further breaks down health. Right. Because I think, we have become very removed from what healthy lifestyle and healthy living is in the first place. And there's already vulnerabilities in your body and our gut takes a huge beating. Most par- most pathogens and most parasites are going to come in through like the oral, like they're mm-hmm. kind of orally. That's just it. Most of them are. And if your stomach acid is not sufficient, that's going to allow things more to pass into the intestinal tract. If um, you're eating a lot of sugary foods, that's going to allow for things to grow and then an imbalance to happen. So then your innate immune, your immune system, your good microbiome that's supposed to be working on your behalf might be jeopardized. And then other things can begin to flourish, right? So, um, and even just like medications or antibiotics or just like really shitty lifestyle. Oh, can mm-hmm. I say I'm sorry. Yep. that just leaves our bodies extremely vulnerable and I think that also because people don't really like to talk about parasites and they don't want to think about parasites let's just say they did come in contact with something and got traveler's diarrhea and they just thought because the diarrhea stopped they're free and clear Uh do the follow-up work and then then you're now harboring a fugitive and you don't even realize it and that could just gnaw away at your health so I think there's also just a lack of education around what we need to do to take better precautions should you come in contact with those things um preventatively and after possible symptoms so that this does not become a bigger issue. Um, and I think it's because everyone's so scared to talk about or think about it. It's kind of just kind of grown a little bit more. Yeah. I think one, and you brought it up, which, which was sort of the the simple thing that I was going for there was the idea that your maybe your immune system is you're somewhat compromised or your, your health. And you went on, you expanded on it quite nicely. Just there's other ways in which our health is compromised uh, in the, sort of Western world. Um, and then you talked about the microbiome. So yeah, you expanded, you took that bait and ran with it. Good work. <laughs> so it's, yeah, the weird, the, we, I think it's, it's important to talk about the weirdness of parasites because they do weird us out. Um, and they are kind of weird in a way because you don't necessarily see them. 
uh, or, or feel them directly. I mean, there's all these fantastic, uh, or these like, uh, extreme, uh, videos of like parasites in people's eyeballs and like all. And I think, I think what we need to understand is that there's, there's more sort of like hidden sort of parasites. It's not always like something crawling out of your eyeball, like you see on YouTube or whatever. Um, what are some of the, what are some of the most common sort of parasite problems that maybe our listeners could relate to? Like things that you see and you go, okay, I'm going to work through this and go, is it, is it just diet? Is it, is it that you have too much flora or you have flora in the wrong place or is it parasites? Like what are the sort of ways you're going about thinking about a case when you suspect parasites? Yeah. So if someone comes in and they just have digestive health issues and they're just complaining about IBS symptoms, like your typical standard thing, like that pretty much plagues so many people, as you know, in this world, your gas, your bloating, your constipation, your diarrhea, your alternating poops, like surprise poops and all those kinds of things. Um, Can't trust a fart. That's another one I I hear sometimes. I love that. Can't trust a fart. Um, (laughs) um, That's great. I'm going to have to bank that one. Um, But yeah, all those, all those GI upset stuff, I have yeah. in the back of my mind. I'm not going to jump immediately to the conclusion that you've had a parasite, but based on my intake form, I'm always going to ask about antibiotic use. How pervasively have you used it? Did you use it in the first few years of life? Did you take probiotics after? Like those kinds of things that lead to those breakdowns and vulnerabilities can start mm-hmm. to point me in the direction of at least dysbiosis and not necessarily parasites, but I'm heading in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Um, if they've traveled a lot, taking history of their traveling and even like food poisonings and stuff like that, then I start to think about it. But there's a lot of things I look at, like even looking at standard blood work. If there's a certain ratio of like your white blood cell count, when you break it down, your neutrophils, your like lymphocytes, monocytes, eosinophils, if eosinophils are like higher than they should be, I start to actually start to think about parasites because parasites will increase the eosinophil count and um because of that a lot of people get more allergy like symptoms that's often a really big one too congested sinuses allergies itchy skin rashes things like that that they're kind of like nobody can figure this out (laughs) and antihistamines don't necessarily help me i start to be like okay let's rule this out possibly especially account comes up higher okay can can you i I don't want to I love what you're doing, but I, I, there's details there that maybe I'm being selfish here, but the eosinophils is something I want to talk about because it's very rarely higher than the normal sort of range, right? Like it's 0.0, point, is it 0.05 or whatever no, is the, like it's, 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 yeah. But what, what I've learned through a lab testing webinar or something I did a few years ago, and I always have it on hand when I'm reviewing people's standard lab work is that your eosinophil count should never be more than, um, oh my goodness, what is it? One to 3% max of your total white blood cell count. So that's what I'm looking at is the percentages. Okay. So. Yeah. I figured you must be looking at a ratio or a percentage. Cause I've, I've had so many, like I do labs on, almost everyone at at some point and uh usually in the beginning of of our our treatment or um a proper assessment and i i rarely see eosinophils uh beyond what the normal range is according to the lab and i but then i'm always wondering because sometimes it's higher than you'd think and i look at the ratio of eosinophils to other white blood cells and like something doesn't seem right there so is that is that something that you're looking at Absolutely. So your total white blood cell count, your neutrophil should always bank the highest percentage. So I always do a percentage. I always like do the ratios of what's my neutrophils compared to my white blood cells. What's my lymphocytes compared to my white blood cells and get that percentage. And if your eosinophil, if the eosinophil count for the client is showing up as more than 3%, then you want to start ruling out parasites as a possibility. Cool. Okay. Your total white blood cell count. That's a, that's a thing for me for sure. And I've noticed that even with, um, and I first began to learn that um, as well through my live blood contacts. And we can discuss that a little bit further because that's kind of what got me into all the parasites is when they started to see higher amounts of eosinophils as white blood cells within the live blood frame. They mm-hmm. were, and, and often that becomes more pervasive when there's more overgrowth of parasites happening. And then they educated me about that. So I became keen on it probably like seven, eight years ago when I started doing live blood. Okay, cool. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop you. You had a whole train of thought you were going there, but I wanted to, I wanted to expand upon that because I think it's really important, especially for the clinicians out there or mm-hmm. for people who are nerds and like to look at their blood tests. Um, okay. <laughs> what are the other, what are the other things you're looking at that make you uh, think going down the, the line of like 
okay, is it something simple or are we going to get to the, to the parasite? Yeah. If I start doing so, so constipation can actually really big, be a big deal because of parasites and people don't realize that. Um, people usually think diarrhea because of parasites, but it's not always the case. And I find constipation, chronic constipation can be a big one. Um, I also have found, I think that's super important. Again, I'm going to, cause I think yeah. you're, you have lots of gems here and I don't yeah. want to just brush over them. That's so important. Cause I was just looking at some parasite review, like nerding out here. Cause PubMed is my number one bookmark. Um, and just looking at some, uh, um, yeah, a review on parasites and really Michelle, all they talk about is diarrhea and they talk about like more second or third world countries, if we're allowed to say that anymore. Um, you know, that, that's, that's what all the talk on parasites in the, in the literature is about. So let's say it now, a lot of what Michelle's talking about here is like clinical insight that maybe is not as, um, there's not as many, uh, publications on, on this type of, is that fair to say? Yeah, I yeah. think so. I don't think the research is really caught up with what yes. is okay. happening. Okay. So yes. Yeah, so parasites don't always have to be diarrhea, a common misconception in a lot of, par- uh, papers that I've seen. Okay. Go. I think that they can start as diarrhea, but if yes. they grow their way into your system more and you've passed that diarrhea acute phase, it could contribute to more chronic constipation after. Right. So it doesn't mean it's not one or the other. It could be both, but it started one way and changed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, bloating is a really big one too. Like I said, all those IBS symptoms, but I find like just really strong allergy symptoms, like that itchy skin stuff and just weird things that like don't really make sense and kind of... St- hover out of context or what I find people who do all the right things, but can't seem to like pass a certain plateau. Right. So if you start, so I'm not always going to paint everybody with a parasitic brush and be like, you've got it, you got it, you got it. it," And just start like throwing like heavy duty, like cleanses at them. Um, I'm going to begin with what seems the most simple and the most common sense with regards to what their symptoms are. And just, which is what all good clinicians do. Right. (laughs) (laughs) hopefully um so I would rather start there and if we feel like we're hitting a wall then I'm like okay we need to dig deeper this is not moving the way we want to and then Mm. I might add that into the mix to make sure that we're heading in the right direction because one thing that's really interesting is that parasites are like sponges they um they also are sponges for heavy metals but they're sponges to making your body hold on to things like candida molds mycotoxins funguses and bacteria so if there is a dysbiosis and you do have a strong strong like um marker for parasites happening on labs or or symptoms wise that could be the limiting factor that's not allowing your body to like release all those other things okay so what do they have like a crew that they hang out with do they, do they yeah, bring they, in a posse they get together yeah <laughs> Okay, who's in the parasite posse? You said molds. Molds and mycotoxins are big ones. Heavy metals are big. Um, They're sponges for heavy metals. So if anyone needs to do a quote unquote heavy metal detox, you want to make sure you're ruling out parasites too, because they're going to make your body hold on to them. I read somewhere how the body actually holds on to parasites as a way to trap the heavy metals. It's almost like, cause your body's super cool. Like it has all oh, these yeah. interesting ways of like trying to defeat and rise above certain situations. So I was reading something where um, the body will hold on to parasites more because they act like a sponge for heavy metals. So it becomes almost like a reservoir. So it's more concentrated in an area. Yeah, to make a deal. Right. So it's kind of trying to pick the, the lesser of the evils, but then you're still kind of like left lurking with these two things in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeast is a big one too. And even just bacterial load, like sometimes people are diagnosed with SIBO and there could very well be a bacterial imbalance, but it's the parasitic component that you need to release in order to really make headway because yeah. parasites can bung up a lot of stuff. And um, because they can lead to chronic constipation, you might think, oh, that's methane SIBO or, you know, and mm-hmm. it could be, but it might just, it, there might be another layer that you got to work through too. Yeah. I think it's important to understand that microbes have a posse and, uh, they, they like microbes will do this, uh, that thing where they, they depend on each other's metabolites. Like some will eat the other me- microbes like waste product. And then the other one eats another. It's very interesting how they all sort of They'll, they'll have a posse and hang out together. Yeah. Yeah. And like a lot of the symptoms for, for parasites might be because of their own waste product too. Like they release ammonia into our body, which is like very irritating and different things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they're just, I find them to be like, what, what did I call them? I feel like they're, 
they're fugitives and like they're harboring, yeah. they're harboring in your body and they're basically unwanted guests and you want to get rid of them because they are jumping their they're like using up your resources they're they're dropping their poop in your system they're releasing mm -hmm. their own byproduct like they're basically like really bad unwanted house guests that don't know how to clean up after themselves <laughs> yeah no i that's that's awesome that's what i say um i say that about unwanted microbes in general they're kind of like teenagers like partying in your house and then they leave like all the mess you got to clean up all the bottles and the the pizza boxes and all that they they're like partying inside of us they're having a party and we have to clean up all their metabolic end products so party um, party yeah um, i did want to say one more thing a big thing that sometimes is a clue to me to look into parasites more if there's a liver gallbladder issue Okay, expand. I like this. Yep, I knew you would. So because a lot of parasites can hide in your liver and your gallbladder and they can bung up your bile ducts. Bung up is a medical term, by the way. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, they can they can get they can make your bile more sludge sludgy or slug sludgish. Am I can't even talk right now. Um and thicken sludgy. it. Sludgy. I like it. Sludgy. Sludgy. <laughs> and then it's not as fluid and then it can't work on your behalf. Bile is a huge way that we have to detox. Bile is a huge way for us to be able to absorb our fats um and fat metabolized nutrients so we it's do antimicrobial too itself antimicrobial as yeah. well because it does affect your uh, your microbiome as it goes, travels through your intestinal tract you're right thank you david and thank it helps know. with constipation right so it's another maybe maybe it would link in with your constipation thing I think that's where the big missing link is too, is that if, if it's contributing to a deficit in bile or an inadequate quality of bile, then that could be leading to all other downstream digestive issues after too. And if somebody has lost their gallbladder because of thick, because of stone formation, one of the things I'm often thinking about is like, okay, usually for me, that's a higher up issue. Like it's a liver and a gallbladder issue. It's not just a singular organ. It's mm -hmm. kind of like, well, why was the liver not making bile to the right consistency in the first place or what's happening there? And then I also think bacteria and parasites, because those are huge for um, perpetuating bile stone formation and clogging up bile ducts. Mm -hmm. Well, the liver and gallbladder are like fraternal twins. They're so wonderful. I, like, they, I, like, they hang out together. The gallbladder is such a highly neglected organ and I just have so much love for it. I'm just like, I wish people loved it more. <laughs> I think some of these, some organs get trashed because you can live without them. Like you can, you can live <clears throat> without them, but maybe not live optimally, you know, like spleen, you can, you know, technically you can live without it. The gallbladder too kind of fits it, into that. It's not great though, but you still need something to regulate your bile for digestion, right? So well, nature doesn't waste anything. I say this to patients all the time. Nature didn't, nature didn't put anything in there by accident. Nature didn't put anything there like extra just in case. It's like you're, you have to honor all the bits. Yeah. And I, I have the same feeling about the appendix, even though everyone's just like, it's a vestigial organ. It's a vestigial organ. And a part of me is just kind of like, it probably has some no. kind of purpose that we've just never figured out. And I haven't, I started to kind of scratch the surface of that, but I haven't delved deep yet, but yeah, lymphoid organ. I had someone last, I think uh, um, a patient last week who had their appendix out, they had their adenoids out, and some other um, some other lymphoid tissue. I said, you got a lymph problem. Like there's obviously yeah. something wrong with your lymph. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love this talk about the liver and gallbladder mixing it up. Because uh, even if you look at the conventional sort of literature, you'll see uh, a lot of these guys... Um, these parasites like to hang out in the in the gallbladder and liver, and so some of the nerdy uh, stuff I saw uh, was I think some of the the, um, the lab results you may see sort of go up or whatever with gallbladder issues would be um, maybe alkaline phosphatase and your bilirubin. Mm -hmm. So pretty simple. I mean, those you probably do those blood tests. I, I do those blood tests on almost everyone. So those are some for the real nerds, the hardcore nerds out there. ALP and bilirubin may be um, elevated with uh, gallbladder blockage. I had a, I had a client recently. She had, can I share like a clinical case? Yeah, go. So, and cause it has to do with liver and parasites. So it's right on brand right now. So um, it, she was, she's young. She's like 25 and uh, a young female. She came in to see me and I noticed off the bat, she had like, orangish kind of tone to her hands but she does a lot of like outside gardening work I was like I don't know maybe something that she's using because she does like landscaping so I was like maybe something she's coming in contact is causing that and then a few appointments in you know we were already starting to do some liver gallbladder support because there was already some signs 
based on the quality of her poops that I was like, we probably need to just do a little something here. And she started to notice some improvements in things, but her hands continued to be kind of orangey yellow. And then after the summer left and she didn't have a tan, it became more apparent. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so like, let, let's talk about this now. Let's run like your liver enzymes and do a proper test. Her doctor didn't want to do it. So we ran it in house. And then, you know, her, oh my God, I can't remember which, which markers they are. And I apologize, but it was like, it, hers ALT was up by 1%. It was just one, it was one notch above what they deemed to be like, what you have to be yep. Her bilirubin was fine, even though she had these yellow hands. Mm-hmm. And then it was her GGT was off a hint, again, one to two points. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that does really feel like a fatty liver thing. Because for me, I'm like, the liver so regener- regenerative that if you're even up above one point above that threshold, something's off with your liver. It's significant to me. And her doctor didn't run, didn't want to run an ultrasound. He's like, that's not significant enough for me to run an ultrasound. Um, these days, the, the thing was, these days, ultrasounds are so sensitive. They're always going to pack up a little bit of fatty liver. And I was like, well, that's probably not a good idea. Like we shouldn't just roll that out. But anyways, I was like, okay. I was like, because there's still certain stuckness with what you're feeling, I sent her to get a test. It was at my Georgetown clinic and we have this core test, which is more of a bioenergetic test. And it tests mm-hmm. organ systems. Cause I was like, let's just see what's out of sorts. It tests organ systems from a Chinese medicine points meridian perspective. It, um, it tests food sensitivities um, and or foods that irritate the body, but it also tests microbes. And I specifically asked this technician to look for liver flukes. Cause I was like, let's just see the, the parasite. Interesting. The liver. And all the liver flukes that I asked her to check all kind of came back as like a positive irritation in her body. And I was like, oh my God, it's the missing link. So um, we continued on the liver gallbladder support, but then we added in some parasite stuff. And I've had one follow-up with her since then. And it was only like a three-week protocol. And she was like, she came in so excited. She was like, this change and this change in my poops and this and this and this. And I was like, great. She's like, I think my sleep's even better. And I was like, awesome. Um, And then she says, I think I saw something come out in my poop. And I was like, Yes. And my lies like light up like a Christmas tree. I'm like, you saw something in your poop. Cause it's so validating when you see something come out. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, there was like these weird white slimy something things came out. She's like, I didn't know what it was. I assumed maybe they were parasites. And she's like, and then she's like, I went and I looked up liver flukes. Cause I was like, I just needed to know. And then she's like, that's for sure what I saw come out in my poop. And I was like, holy Hannah. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> so Um, and it was only like after three weeks of even just starting to like move the needle on that. And that's really cool. Right. And, and then she was like, I almost passed out when I saw them in my poop though. Cause that was really weird. And I'm like, I totally get it, but let's just Mm -hmm. keep thinking better out than in better out than in. And she's like, okay, I'm a, I'm a put that on my like bathroom mirror so I can (laughs) remind myself. But yeah, so that was pretty wild. So I'm really excited to see how she starts to like shift with this. Yeah, that's one of those times I wish we were a little more integrated with the conventional um, med sort of system where we had access to, you know, we could actually send those stools, samples and and really get some more hard evidence because, yeah, yeah, you just have clinical, you have your clinical um, acumen that sort of tells you what to do and it'd be nice to, wouldn't it be nice to have some, yeah. It'd be so nice. And the thing is, is I find, well, that was another thing. I brought up something about her sleep and I wanted to touch on that too. Um, Another good sign is that when people feel worse at night, sometimes that's a parasitic thing because they are. um, Tell me more. This is a lot of people. They can, they can disrupt sleep and they can cause more anxiety and disruption of sleep because the existence of parasites, I was reading this the other day, can increase or aggravate cortisol levels and increase cortisol. And then people are more agitated, more wired at night. So they have maybe more insomnia. Um, Teeth grinding, especially at night is often a big signal of parasites, not always, but it can be one of those signs that you want to look for. Um, And I know this is going to sound super weird and people are going to be like, okay, like you're hokey, but um, around the full moon and it's, and I've, and I've read and it doesn't sound weird to me, Michelle, for what, for what it's worth. It doesn't sound weird to me. Symptoms that get worse around the full moon because Mm. parasites actually come out more. They're kind of more aggravated and they kind of come out of hiding more from the body, from hiding in tissues and become a little bit more agitated around the full moon. And I never understood why, but I knew this from my live blood specialist because she was like, anytime she's done um, a test around the full moon, she's like, people's blood just looked like crazy. Um, And then I was reading that serotonin levels increase around the full moon and the parasites are attracted to it crazy i know so i was like that's cool 
Yeah, there's there's uh, nature doesn't waste things. Also, re- she uses, like reuses things. I think that's worth saying too. Like a lot of um, other animals and uh, other creatures use a, a lot of the same stuff as we do. So yeah. that, that idea of serotonin being something that yeah. um, influences other organisms is not weird at all. We don't have a handle only on serotonin as humans. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting. A little fun fact. That is cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop something on you uh, yeah. that we didn't talk about. Uh, talking about we didn't previously say we're going to talk about this but one one thing that I've really uh, started to value a little bit more and look into a lot more like with nerdy science as much as I can and sort of mix it I like I always like to try and mix nerdy new stuff with old school stuff um, but that doesn't always work as you know we just use our clinical uh, skills but the thing I'm thinking about is uh, geophagy or clays and specifically I really like zeolite um, and I just wanted to talk to you, like any, what, what's your thought on using clays in parasites? Cause it kind of links a whole bunch of stuff together. Like zeolites will actually bind heavy metals. They'll bind radioactive isotopes. And then the clays, because they stay in the GI system and they do have like a killing effect, like they're used in livestock, um, to improve yields. Cause you know, as long as there's money in something they will research it, but there's no real money in, in testing it in humans, I guess. But in livestock, you get, you know, more eggs, you get better weight, better yield on your, so, so they use these clays again, you don't have to say anything if you haven't heard anything about, it, but just cause you're kind of like a, uh, I don't know, you got, you're like a parasite whisperer here. Any, any, uh, any idea of anything you've heard on these clays and parasites? Absolutely. Um, I used to use things like activated charcoal or clay as pars parasitic cleansers or you like yeast cleanses, a yeast and fungal and mold cleanses. Um, recently I switched to a bioactive carbon binder, which is actually fulvic and humic acid. So it like similar to like the ze- like zeolite and all that kind of stuff, because I find that it's not as dehydrating. Clay can be very dehydrating to the body. And if people mm. are constipated and bunged up and not drinking enough water, which is sometimes like, I feel like I'm beating people on the head about drinking water. Um, that could be a problem. So I've switched to a product called Biotoxin Binder, which is zeo, uh, which is fulvic acid, humic acid. There's some broccoli, sulfurophane sprouts in there, like sprouts. Um, there's a few other components to it, but the reason I like this is that it's not depleting. It actually helps provide minerals to the body. It um, can enhance mitochondrial function. So it doesn't leave your body feeling depleted. It's non-dehydrating. Um, it doesn't interfere with the absorption of other medications and nutrients. That's where you have to be really careful more with the clays and the activated charcoals. And this one also is um, something that is good for binding heavy metals, it has naturally some antiviral activity, some natural anti-mold and antifungal activity. It just naturally traps those things. So it mm-hmm. does enhance the process. And it's good because, um, like we said, like I mentioned before, parasites naturally release things like ammonia and stuff. But if you go in and you're going in guns blazing, so for as, as a rule of thumb for me, any kind of microbial cleanse that I'm doing or reset I'm doing for someone, you have to have a liver component. So you need to make sure that that drainage pathway is opened. I'm often making sure your lymphatic system is opened too ahead of time. So make sure that that's all ready for the taking. Your liver is being supported anytime I do a cleanse. And in addition to these, whatever herbs I'm doing for the actual microbes themselves, I'm adding in that biocarbon binder because I find that um, because it traps so many things, it really reduces uh die off die off effects or the consequences or the side yeah. effects. and it also just enhances the detoxification and the elimination because it just really binds these things and as you kill off a parasite a yeast a bacteria or whatever they're going to release their own toxic waste product into the bloodstream or into the gut lining and you need to make sure you have something that's catching that to really get rid of it so that's where the liver is important to detox the lymph is important to detox and the binder is important to detox yeah we have some uh, we have some really uh, amazing uh, colleagues, and I think so, some of them think that you can't really detox. But I actually disagree on this point. I will I will kindly disagree and sort of more side with you uh, is that uh, there are ways that you can uh, increase your elimination of of toxic metabolites, and uh, perhaps they're not as um, I don't know. Perhaps they're not as impactful in everyone as as you know, they may uh, be portrayed in some, you know, online programs and oversimplified non-clinical uses. Um, but I, I totally agree with you. And I think the the evidence on zeolite is is quite good in that. And if, if you look to the evidence in the agricultural community, 
or um, the agricultural industry. It it proves that removing because it's not like it's it's not like it's a nutrient, right? The zeolite will exchange actually. Zeolite's really cool because it gives you something back. That's why I like. That's why. I use it uh, preferably to carbon and I don't know all the, I'll have to look at, I have this on my screen right now. I'll look it up when we're done. Um, but the, uh, the bioactive carbon, um, but generally carbon is just a stealer, right? It just takes every, it binds all the good and the bad, and then it's all out. And so you're losing some good stuff too. What I liked about zeolite is that it actually has this cation exchange where it'll give you like a sodium or a potassium in exchange for like lead or cadmium. Very interesting uh, stuff. This whole geophagy. Yeah, I haven't used zeolite per se, but this biocarbon binder, I think, is going to have similar properties to the zeolite because of that, because it doesn't just strip you. It actually yeah. creates an exchange and a balance. Yeah. And really cool thing about it, too, these these clays is because they're clays, they're like uh, sort of big molecules that they actually just stay in the gut. They they don't get systemically absorbed. And I think that's a, a very important thing. They just clean out the tubes. Yeah, this bio, um, this biotoxin binder does have a variety of different particle sizes. So the larger particle size will stay more in the gut. The right. medium particle size will go more into tissues to help you clean out because a lot of parasites go more systemic. They don't just stay in your digestive tract. And then they have smaller ones that can help go into like the blood level and cellular level to help you clean things out. So that, and that's a big thing. And, you know, um, we want to make sure that the purge is on a, on a greater scale versus just scrub, scrubbing, surface scrubbing your intestinal tract and thinking yeah. that you've done your job. Yeah. It looks like it has some herbs in it uh, as well. So yeah, when I use zeolite, I know that I'm only decreasing sort of toxic load. I'm yeah. not necessarily cleaning out every single corner, um, but I, I do like it uh, because it's, it's sort of like maybe decreasing tumor burden, like just removing a lot, like things, uh, what's that Depeche mode? Everything counts in large amounts. You know, when, <laughs> when everything, when there's just tons and tons of toxin, if at least you can safely get a, a rid of a whole bunch from the, from the GI tract, it's sort of like the opposite of the, the straw that broke the camel's back. You, you might actually get to the point of the other side of resilience where now you're able to clean out the closets a little bit better. But yeah. anyway, I'll look into this. It looks like a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more advanced than, than the zeolite that I've been looking at. Um, Michelle, there's something I wanted to talk about before uh, before we just go off, because you know we could go off about poop and parasites and all that. Um, testing. Yeah. Let's talk about testing. Yeah. Um, I've had, well, so, so testing, there's, there's a lot of different tests. What I find is that people, like people will come to me and they'll be like, I went on a trip, I had diarrhea, it kept going on. My doctor ran a stool culture test, no parasites showed up. So they were like, here, just take a probiotic. It's post-infectious diarrhea or something like that. But then they're still struggling with like diarrhea or weird symptoms for like a year or two or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they're not getting any help. And what I find is sometimes those stool culture tests are a little bit deficient. The standard stool culture tests are, I find quite deficient. And if your doctor's not asking you to run a series of three, you might not be catching a parasite a certain time of a life cycle where it can really be seen in a stool culture test. What I've learned also when I was working with, um, so Microcell Sciences is the company that, that um, does the live blood and Shannon, Shannon Gregory was someone I started working with like eight years ago. And now she's branched and made a bunch of satellite clinics and she trains the technicians. And this woman like breathes microbiology. She gets so excited. She calls me, she's like, I threw out all my textbooks and I've realized this and I figured this out. And I was like, well, that's the person I want to send my clients to. Right? <laughs> but she was saying that people would come to see her and they'd have all these weird symptoms. They'd get tested for parasites on stool culture tests and they'd be marked as negative. But then when she's looking at their blood, she's like, yeah, but there's clearly stuff happening in the blood. And what she realized too, is that certain parasites are not deemed quote unquote pathogenic by the medical community. So even if they show up in your stool, it's still going to, it's still going to be quoted as a, a negative result because right. it's not considered a pathogen. Meanwhile, right. it's still an irritation to your immune system, to your cells, to your nutrients, et cetera. So one, there's a deficiency for that perspective. Two, parasites don't just live in your colon, right? So if you take a stool test, it's really going to be more of um, um, uh, a sample of what's happening in your colon and your large intestine. It's not going to test for what's happening in small intestines, the liver, the lungs, the gallbladder. And what I have learned over the last couple of years is most parasites actually hide in the small intestines and things like liver flukes will hit in the uh, liver and gallbladder. And I found out that Giardia is actually very attracted to the liver as well, liver and gallbladder. So um, 
doing a stool culture test is, isn't going to show you the full breadth of things. So there is no one perfect test. That's the thing. In naturopathic medicine, obviously we have these functional tests like a GI 360 or like GI map from like doctor's data and, and whatnot. And they are far more advanced. They are much more sensitive to picking up parasites. But again, that's going to be much more a sample of the large intestine versus mm -hmm. what's happening elsewhere. So I found the live blood analysis to be very helpful because if it's in the blood, it's, it's, it got absorbed through the small intestine. So it starts to show me some of that. Mm -hmm. And then what's nice is that a, you don't have to collect your own poop. You're not spending $600 and it's easy to get retested to track someone's progress. Mm -hmm. And then I can adjust the protocol instead of being, okay, guns blazing, let's keep going, let's keep going and blindly going through this. Mm -hmm. I can have people retested and it shows me liver function, your immune cell function. So I can see like, are your white blood cells sitting on Barca loungers? Meanwhile, there's parasites flying around or are they doing their job? The activity level is very important to me as well. Mm -hmm. So I find that test to be helpful. And then the bioenergetic test that I have at my Georgetown clinic is really interesting because it's non-discriminatory as to what part of your body it's testing. It's, 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 it's kind of like an all-encompassing kind of really rad test. So I'm finding sometimes we have to think outside the box when it comes to these kinds of things. We can't just rely on those standard tests. They don't always tell us everything. How true that is. Yes. And I would say I, I, I hang out in the box a lot, like with regards to testing. Um, and one of, one of the tests that I, I, I used it a few times, but there were so many, what you talked about, like false negatives. I found, I did I did ova and parasites uh, times three complete sort of stool tests. I found so many, what I suspected are false negatives. Cause you know, the, the patient pays a few hundred bucks for this test and you're like pretty sure there's something there. And then it comes back negative and you're like, I still think there's something there. That's why I don't, I don't like a test like that because we've invested in the test and uh, it's not changing my uh, clinical suspicion or actions uh, because I just don't think it's sensitive enough. So I, yeah, I'm all right with, you know, I like homeopathy. Ooh, you know, I, I, I will use it. So being outside, being able to step outside the box, I think is one of the best things about being a good clinical naturopath because conventional medicine is really good at staying in the box and, and they got a good handle on a lot of it. But if you're, there's just, we see people every day that you do need to step outside the box with, right? That's part of the beauty of what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was but knowing when to stay in the box is good too. Like, uh, yeah, I, 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 I just, I wish more, uh, cause I feel like we're losing a bit of that ability to like step outside the box intelligently, strategically at the right time. And right. so, yeah, thanks for bringing that. Cause a lot of people I talk to, uh, are not willing to, to do that. And so, uh, yeah. good for you and you get clinical outcomes with it, then who cares? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. You know, like I get results and that's all that matters. You yep. know, it's funny though. I use these more non-conventional tests. And then some of my clients, you mentioned the word parasite and they're just not ready to wrap their head around it. And then they'll go talk to their doctor and their doctor convinces them otherwise. And then they don't come back. And I was like, you came to me because you weren't getting results with them. And I found you an answer and you just cognitive dissonance. Like people are just not ready to accept that sometimes. And they're just kind of like, I'd rather go with like the ignorance is bliss and pretend I don't have this kind of thing. Cause my medical doctor says it can't be possible. And I'm kind of like, okay, that's fine. Come see me when you're ready. You know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's wild. Right. So sometimes we have to be willing to, to, to not just depend on standard, standardized testing all the time. And, and at this point in time, the more I realize is like, the more, the more I know, the more I realize we don't know. Absolutely. At least squat. <laughs> yeah. We don't know shit. You already said shit before. So yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, especially when it comes to, uh, to uh, GI, just cause everything's hidden, right. Everything's sort of like, even when it comes to that kind of the, phys we didn't talk about this, uh, this podcast, like the physical exam and, and the hands-on stuff, but I, I, I am pretty sure um, that sometimes that's going to have a benefit too. So when we sort of release adhesions and now we've got increased blood flow, so now more immune cells can come. We've got increased uh, uh, lymphatic and venous drainage. So we've got, you know, more of a waterfall than a swamp. I, I do think the hands-on uh, part may be, may be a nice complement to what you're doing there too. I think so too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, sorry. I was just going to say another thing that I wanted to, to touch on, because I think like a lot of practitioners will probably be listening to these is that um, two weeks is not enough to get rid of parasites more often than not. Some parasites might take a few months. Some mm -hmm. might take six months. Some things like roundworms might take up to like nine to 12 months of mm -hmm. like 
right? With maybe periodic breaks. So sometimes you have to stay the course. And I think that's why like people think like they've had diarrhea for two weeks and they purged it and you're kind of like, no, or they take an anti-parasitic pharmaceutical and it's a two week course. And then they think they've done the job, but that's not the case. You know, if they've embedded themselves deeper in the system, it's the big guys that come out first. It's the little guys that takes longer to take, to get out of the body. Yeah. And it comes back to what we were saying before with that sort of immune resilience and all that too. Like the more the host is in good shape and you can apply this to COVID too. Like the more the host is in a good place, the less likely you're going to have a problem with uh, any kind of um, microbial uh, stressor or challenge, right? The, the microbes generally don't want us to die. No, generally. they don't because they want to continue to feed off of your goodness. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, what, what else? I wanted to ask you something else about, um, uh, about the parasites. Oh, I forget. Let's, let's leave it at that. Unless there's, is, is there something else that you want? Like you, you need, Oh, I know what I want to ask you. I want to give people a couple quick hits here. So let's assume they've, they either they're lucky or they uh, have seen a practitioner like you and they've been guided to the, you know, through the easy stuff. And they got to the point where they're like, okay, I think parasites are part of the picture here. They know they got something. They don't know exactly what it is. Maybe they haven't seen you for, for the, fancy machines that go bing and tell you which parasites are where, <laughs> but they know they got something. What are, what's going to be like maybe the top two or top three interventions that you're going to use? Obviously, you know, they're going to be uh, individualized, but what's the top two or three things that you're going to be uh, giving to your patients who have parasites or parasite cleanse. Yeah. So um, again, we already talked about the biotoxin binder and the liver stuff, and then you can choose your liver product, however you want. I like certain drainage ones. Like I like Recoig R7s and stuff like that. If I feel like their toxic load is even more pervasive, then I might start with like a detox kit, like a lymphatic kidney liver detox kit to start. Um, and then, um, and then I'll use, I like Alpha Alpha Science Laboratories. Their parasite is unique because it's not your standard black walnut and that kind of stuff. Like it does have that, but it has like pumpkin seeds and curcubita and things like that that are actually antimicrobial. And they have some interesting herbs in there too. Um, Perfect Herbs has bye-bye fungi and parasites because, you know, a lot of times there's, there's a doubling down of both of those things. Um, so I find that one's great, but tastes nasty yeah um, but does the job yeah um sometimes i've used gi microbex from designs for health but i'm usually pairing it with something else and there's a product called um so mimosa pudica is a one singular herb that actually expands and suffocates parasites so that you can excrete them but you don't want to use that in isolation so i find i usually pair that with something else especially if you think if you're suspecting more like bigger worms, that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. um, then I find the mimosa pudica can be a really good one to throw into the mix to really like get the purge. And the, the few, the few clients, since I started using that, I'm having more clients come and report to me, like I'm seeing stuff in the poop now. And I'm like, right. Great. Right. So I find that that's really like shifting the needle. I used to use physica a lot, but, I'm, but we can't seem to get them in Canada, but they had a really good artemisia tincture mm -hmm. um, because I find a lot of the standard tinctures are black walnut heavy. Mm -hmm. And they often have licorice. And sometimes I'm finding people having high blood pressure or they have nut allergies. Right. Like, ooh, this causes a little bit of a problem. Right. And Artemisia was such a wonderful, like, combo. And it had, like, papaya leaf, which is, like, a huge vermifuge um, and different things like that in there. And um, sometimes depending on where they're at, I'll add in a homeopathic as a drainage too. So Physica used to have paratox and AMB tox for like amoeba tox. So depending mm -hmm. on the type of parasites I'm dealing with, I would give them one or the other, or I'll go to like a Requig product to add in like a parasitic kind of extra little oomph. Cause awesome. I find that talking to the body on that level just adds, an, it just adds another like awesome way to convert, like converse, um, have a conversation with the body to like give it the right messages. I like the combination of herbs and homeopathics for like a proper. Set yeah. Home homeopathics are very, very directing. Um, they sort of direct things in a way. And uh, uh, yeah, I have no problems again saying that homeopathics have a place. I don't, I wouldn't say I use them every day, but my God, there's nothing like them when you see some of the stuff that they do. Um, if you use them skillfully, they work. I think yeah. everyone who says they don't work just, doesn't know how to use them it's like it's like watching someone their first time with chopsticks it doesn't mean chopsticks don't work you just don't know how to use them um anyway 
Yeah. The singular homeopathics is not an art form that I have yet mastered. Um, but the drainage ones and the complex homeopathics, I find that they just, they propel the healing in a, mm-hmm. in a totally new way. Yeah. They direct, I think they direct in a way if, if I, I don't, if do you know what I mean? They kind of direct the body's resources in a certain way. Yeah. And when they work and they stop working, I wonder if they have used up the resources. I talk about like software and hardware a lot of the time in, in my analogies. And, uh, and I think that's what's happening a lot of time when they stop working is that you, they're directing the body to the right place, but maybe you don't have enough cofactors to keep the process going or, or whatever, but that's nerdy homeopathic talk for the clinicians out there. Um, so yeah, well, but what I want to end with Michelle, oh, before we end, I, I think we should get together again another time and do like a parasite check-in and just like, because there's not a lot, I don't hear a lot of people uh, in our community who are, I don't know, courageous enough or willing to think outside the box a little bit with parasites. And, and um, I think it's worth talking about again. So sometime we should do another check-in as you learn more clinically, uh, bring it to us. Want right. to do that sometime? Okay. I'm into it. I'm into okay. it. I would like, I would like to do that, but then I want to know what is the one thing for the listener who has been, you know, tolerant of our uh, good and sometimes not great humor and everything, this whole episode, what do you want them? Mostly the bad humor is me. That's my job. Uh, but, (laughs) but what would you want them to take home from what we've talked about? Like if there's one sort of like, uh, Twitter tidbit you want people to take home from our chat today, what is it? I saw this, uh, I, and I shared this with you. I saw this quote before through like a company that does a lot of parasitic stuff. He's like, if you have a pulse, you probably have parasites. Bam. So it's not a matter of if you have it, it's more a matter of how much and how much it's affecting your body. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a very succinct, hard hitting bookend to an awesome conversation with Dr. Michelle Pobega on Parasites. Thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us. And we'll get together again another time to talk more about Parasites. Thank you for having me. I love this talk. Can't wait to be back. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus Focused vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada.